Thought Leadership from PwC. Welcome to PwC's Accounting Podcast. I'm Heather Horn. On May 25th, while many of us were busy focusing on the SEC's climate disclosure proposal, the staff issued another ESG-related proposal that could impact funds with potentially trillions of dollars of invested capital. The proposal seeks to categorize certain types of ESG strategies broadly and require funds and advisors to provide more specific disclosures and fund prospectuses, annual reports, and advisor brochures based on the SEC strategies they're pursuing. You know, I worked at the SEC for 20 years. This is probably the most significant reform in this space since Dodd-Frank. My guest today is PwC National Office Partner, Pete Driscoll. Pete was formerly Director of the Division of Examinations at the SEC and brings a wealth of experience and knowledge to bear on this conversation. We have a lot to cover, so let's get started. Pete, thanks so much for joining me today for a discussion of a different ESG proposed rule than the one we've been focused on for the past few months. And this one relates to funds and a new a new proposal for them. But before we got into that, I thought it would be helpful to just provide some context because I know there's a lot that's been going on more broadly from a fund space. So what can you share? Yeah. So th- again, thanks so much for having me today. Um, it's a pleasure to be here. So, you know, it's interesting. The SEC has been very active on a rulemaking front, particularly the Division of Investment Management. You know, it's, since since January, they've proposed at least six different rulemakings that will impact um, the investment advisor space, the mutual fund space. You know, uh, the, the first two I relate to private fund advisors. So they've amended form PF, at least it's been proposed. Um, you know, that one's significant because it's added more information that needs to be disclosed by private fund advisors for their funds that they advise. But it also requires a 24 hour, uh, one business day reporting for different events that may happen. Um, with regard to a private fund. So if there's if there's an instance where the fund has to throw up gates, has a liquidity issue, a material write-down, those, those advisors have to notify the SEC within one business day. The other one that's significant in the private fund space is an overall private fund reform. And, and I will tell you, Heather, you know, I worked at the SEC for 20 years. This is probably the most significant um, reform in this space since Dodd-Frank, um, frankly, which required the registration of a lot of private fund advisors. Um, it, it's very prescriptive. It includes a lot of prohibitions, additional audit requirements, quarterly statement requirements. It, it's, it's a very significant rule. And, and I think that you know, a lot of, of advisors and private fund advisors particularly are very focused on it. Um, that too has been proposed. Yeah, one other area that I think has been very significant is cybersecurity as well, where the SEC, on the same day as the private fund reform, um, proposed a cybersecurity risk management that applied to all investment advisors and all mutual fund complexes. And so that one too has reporting requirements if there's an outage or cyber event. Um, that's of significance. And that requires those firms to notify the SEC within 48 hours. So that too 
has created, um, you know, some, it will have a significant operational uplift for firms. And it's something that, that, that has created a lot of concern in industry, um, on how they're going to be able to comply with that rulemaking if it goes through. And so. So then take all of those, which are very significant, and then layer on this new ESG proposal and the names proposal. That's a lot for investment companies to absorb. And normally we would talk about this at the end, but I think just to level set, do you have any sense of timeline for when some of these new rules may be adopted and how they're going to interact with each other then? Yeah. So, so it is, there is so much that that's being put out. And in terms of timing, some of the, some of the rulemaking was silent, like the cybersecurity rulemaking was silent in terms of a compliance period, which suggests to me that there may be some more immediate requirements that may take place. Whereas the private fund reform, it gives firms a year um, compliance period. Um, and then the rule that we're going to speak to today with regard to ESG, that that has compliance requirements anywhere from a year to 18 months after the 60 days that, you know, it's published in the Federal Register. So, so you know, most of them are around a year after they become finalized. Um, but firms are going to need to start, you know, engaging on this sooner than later. Right. And I think then the crystal ball question is when, you know, you said 60 days after and then you have a year. But the question is, when is that date of adoption? So it seems like the SEC is going to have a busy fall trying to um, push some of these through as well as then, you know, we've been, as I said, on on this podcast, spending a lot of time on the SEC's broader climate proposal. So definitely a lot for companies to absorb. Absolutely. I agree. I, I think that having an aggressive rulemaking agenda um, is important to Chair Gensler. That was his priority when he came in. Um, and I think you're seeing that, you know, that that come to fruition. And it's particularly impacting the private fund, the advisor, the investment management and the fund space um, with all these rulemakings. And I think, you know, he'll want to get these rules through and finalized before midterm elections um, as, you know, his stakeholders are, are really pushing him to move forward with, you know, certain agendas. And, and, and I think he wants to ensure that, that he meets the expectations of his stakeholders, which from, from a congressional perspective, a lot of the funding that comes to the SEC, it's all approved by, by Congress. So. Right. So definitely a lot going on there. Let me ask one more level setting question, Pete, because obviously this is a rule focused on funds. However, I know that our listeners are broader than that. And um, for one thing, I think some aspects of this rule are going to impact private companies that funds are investing in. So can you give us the broad landscape of who this rule applies to directly and perhaps with some small definitions if people won't know just from the names what exactly what types of funds we're talking about here or what types of advisors? Sure, absolutely. So so this rulemaking it, it it applies to a wide range of different types of registered entities. So it applies to registered investment advisors, which would include private fund advisors. Um, it applies to advisors that are exempt from registration, you know, exempt reporting advisors. It, reply, it applies to registered investment companies and business development companies. And, you know, the, the crux of the rule is, is that it, it, it's a disclosure rule. And so the point is to increase disclosures with regard to ESG strategies and ESG products that funds and advisors provide to their clients. 
And so you're looking at changes to fund prospectuses, the N1A and the N2 for closed end funds, the annual reports, the NCSRs, um, and then the advisor brochures. So even both parts at part, part one and part two of ADV um, will need disclosures on ESG strategies. And, and, you know, how the SEC has bucketed this, they haven't really come out and defined what ESG is. I think they, that that's such a difficult thing to do. And they want to ensure that a, a rule they put in place is, is evergreen. No, no, no pun intended on that. But what, what it ends up doing is, is, is that they, they've asked firms to categorize in three different ways ESG um, investment, investment funds. And so um, there's actually a fourth category, which is no ESG considerations. But, you know, the rule doesn't talk about that. What it's focused on is firms that have ESG strategies. So you have integration funds, which is, is, is a fund that considers ESG along with a whole host of other non-ESG factors in making investment decisions. And the ESG is, is not more significant than any other factor in the fund. That's called an integration fund. The second category is an ESG-focused fund. And that's a fund that focuses on one or more ESG factors by using them as a significant or main consideration in selecting investments and in, in its engagement strategy with its the companies it invests in. You know, you look at the names of the funds and you look at the advertising for an ESG-focused fund. And then the final area, I think, is the most significant type of, of, of ESG investing, and that's an impact fund, where the fund is an ESG-focused fund that seeks to achieve a specific ESG impact or, or, or multiple impacts. So, Pete, on the integrated fund, you mentioned that ESG is considered along with other factors. Does that mean that the fund would need to explicitly state it's one of the things considered or if they may consider it, then it would fall into this category. So for an integration fund, um, the, the, the fund, there, there's a number of things that would need be, need to be disclosed. And, and it would be, it would include, you know, how ESG plays into the investment strategy for that particular fund. But it would include, um, you know, all the other areas that the fund focuses on um, in its disclosure documents in terms of how it invests client money. You know, it goes to that fiduciary duty and the disclosure obligations um, that are inherited in the Investment Advisors Act and Investment Company Act. And so it's something that they, you, 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 there's an expectation, and I know SEC examiners and, and the disclosure office and investment management, they'll be focused on for integration funds you know, how ESG is, is considered, um, and, 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 and how that relates to other areas of consideration, whether it be, um, you know, different factors that the, the, the fund complex may, may, may include in its investment decisions. Um, but the, the, the focus there is to ensure that ESG is not more significant than other factors. Pete, so because if ESG is considered, more than any other factor, then it would put them into one of the other categories you talked about. Is that, that is my understanding, right? That's correct. And, and if that's the case, say, for instance, an ESG focused fund where, you know, ESG is one of the main factors or significant consideration in investing, that's going to trigger specific reporting disclosure requirements by the fund complex for that particular fund. So it would include things like 
the number of ESG engagement meetings that the fund complex and the managers may have with issuers. It would include a carbon footprint disclosure, you know, the total greenhouse gas emissions associated with the fund's portfolio. It would include a weighted average carbon intensity um, for the funds, you know, uh, portfolio companies and, and, and the, you know, how intensive, how carbon intensive those portfolio companies are. And, and that would include a calculation that considers scopes one and two. Um, you know, if, if, you know, for an ESG focused fund, if scope three is disclosed by any of the portfolio companies to the public, then the funds expected to include those disclosures in its disclosure. Um, so if the portfolio company discloses scope three and it's public, you know, there's an expectation that, that the fund complex would include that in the, in the fund filings. So that definitely seems like a lot of information that's going to need to be added. I know there's some other requirements too. Before we get into those though, one more sort of broad question, which is something that strikes me as you've been talking about this, is that this is actually not a climate proposal. And obviously we said at the beginning, it's an ESG proposal, but I think people to some extent have been using those terms interchangeably because of the SEC's other proposed rule, which is focused on climate, but people sometimes may refer to that in a broader ESG context. But in this case, Pete, it really is broader. So for example, if they're using social or other factors, that would also pull them into this rule. Is is my understanding correct on that? That's absolutely correct. You know, it's in, it's interesting. The uh, I was at the SEC when there was a transition between the Jay Clayton administration, and you know, it was acting chair Allison Lee and then Gary Gensler, um, and I ran the exam program at that time. And it's funny that that there is an overall there. I think people do like you know that people think of climate and, and, and you saw Corp Finn put out its, its first rulemaking um, that, that related only to climate disclosures. You know, there's more in the works that are on the RegFlex agenda right now, including corporate board diversity and human capital management. But the investment management rule that we're speaking to today, that covers all aspects of ESG investing. And I think that's important because, you know, from an exam perspective, you know, we had been doing exams of investment advisors and funds for a couple of years in the ESG space. And how those started were like real players in the ESG space would call me and say, you know, we've been ESG investing for years. And now there's such a proliferation of ESG strategies and products out there. We don't believe that that they're meeting the standards that 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 we you know and a real ESG player that's been in the space for say ten years has ha, you know the the rigor that we have put in place in our investing and so that led to a number of exams um, you know with regard to greenwashing to see you know what are the what are the advertisements of ESG strategies what what are the disclosures say. And then comparing those disclosures and advertising to what's actually being done from an investing perspective. And so, you know, the SEC did, you know, the exam program did over 100 exams in that space. And then in March of 2021, they put out a risk alert summarizing the findings that they had found. And they find they, we had real findings at the time, um, just in terms of, you know, people had these glorious disclosures and advertising 
and, you know, pine trees and, you know, they had these wonderful strategies. But when, when we looked at the actual trading and the portfolio holdings, um, you know, the rigor wasn't there as they said that, that it would be in their, in particularly in their fund disclosures and their ADV disclosures. And so, so that's something that, that was a big focus. And I think that drives, um, you know, I, I mean, what's interesting about it is, 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 is this rulemaking codifies some other areas that, frankly, you know, the SEC has been citing firms and bringing certain, you know, investigations where they're looking at just simple misleading disclosure. It's, 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 you know, it's section 206 of the Advisors Act in terms of, you know, is it a misleading disclosure in the, in the documents for the fund or for the advisor? Is it a misleading advertising? And so I think that this rulemaking really improves the guardrails in terms of what is required disclosures, but also tries to root out any misleading activity that certain firms may do um, that could be harmful to investors. And so that's something that, you know, the SEC is really focused on in this rule. It's a disclosure rule. And so a pretty robust one at that. Definitely. And I see that's probably a good lead in then to what is required by this rule. And I I know we've hit a few of the requirements as we've gone through the conversation, but perhaps just to get everything in one spot and to make sure we, we hit all of them, can you just run through from a high level, at least all the requirements of this proposed rule? Definitely. So So it impacts a number of different filings and it impacts a number of different types of entities. But as an overview, as I mentioned earlier, you know, it requires the categorization of different funds that fund complexes may advise. So it it categorizes them into three buckets, integration, ESG focused and impact. And, you know, let me give some examples of what the additional requirements are from a disclosure perspective. So if you think about the form N1A, um, you know, the prospectus. And so they've added, uh, you know, or they proposed to add a table that includes a strategy box. So it includes yes, no questions that a fund complex will need to answer and disclose to, to, to investors that does, does it follow and, you know, does the fund follow an ESG index? Is it, do they have inclusive screens? from an investment perspective or exclusive screens? Um, Does it rely on proxy voting as part of its process to execute its ESG strategy? Um, Some other requirements include a description of how the fund incorporates ESG in its investment decisions, how the fund votes proxies and engages with portfolio companies. You know, particularly for an ESG fund, you know, it must include an overview of third-party ESG frameworks that the fund follows. For an impact fund, it must include an overview of the impact the fund is seeking to achieve, how the fund measures progress towards the impact, including KPIs, you know, key performance indicators, um, the time horizon that the fund uses to analyze progress um, in achieving those KPIs, and then the relationship of the impact and the financial return to the investor. And so, so that is just in form N1A. I, you know, N2, which is for closed end funds, that's very similar requirements, a similar table, um, a similar categorization of, of the, the funds in terms of whether it's integration, ESG focused or impact. 
Um, but then also in the SAI, the Statement of Additional Information, it includes discussion of impact funds achieving a desired impact with both qualitative and quantitative measures, ESG-focused funds, details of proxy voting, KPIs, ESG engagement meetings. So it's interesting that, that they're actually requiring funds to track and to maintain in its record keeping. Um, the number of engagement meetings that the fund management will have with different portfolios and to report out on those as a quantitative measure. And so I think that that's an interesting approach that the SEC is requiring in, in, for, for N1As and, and N2s in, 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 in the ESG space. There were two things that really stood out for me, at least, and I'm a little less familiar, obviously, with, with fund reporting, but the box that you mentioned at the beginning, as well as then this report out that you talked about at the end in terms of these meetings, have you seen other similar requirements or is this sort of a step ahead of what we've seen before from a rulemaking perspective in the fund space? You know, this is something that... Um you know, I haven't seen with other fund strategies. So if you think about emerging markets, if you think about large cap, high yield, different asset classes, you know, I haven't seen this type of rigor in terms of disclosure obligations um, in, in other asset class settings that are required for funds to do. There's always disclosure requirements, but this is to the degree that this is, is, is that the SEC is requiring in this proposal. I think it's interesting, too, because a lot of this information will be used from a, a structured data versus an unstructured data. And what do I mean by that? So examiners, enforcement, um, as well as investment management's um, analytics office, they will be able to capture the yes, no questions that fund complexes provide in, in their filings and be able to quantify both the population as well as specific types of funds that existed in the overall, you know, 10,000 plus mutual fund industry. And so I think that that will provide a lot of data points for the SEC to analyze from an ESG's perspective. And then there's also unstructured data, which is all the narratives and disclosure requirements that will also be included that will 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 have to be um, you know read through specifically firm by firm and fund by fund and so you know it may be interesting if 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 I could just go into the form ADV disclosures oh yes definitely for investment advisors because I I do think that that gives a good good feel for the balance that the SEC is trying to get in terms of structured data and unstructured data so. So if you think about the form ADV, you know, there's two, two main parts. There's, there's, there's part 1A, which is, 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 has a lot of yes, no questions um, that advisors fill out, as well as a lot of um, demographic information for, for the advisor and the funds it advises. Um, it includes AUM and assets under management and other areas, whether the, you know, the advisor has custody of client assets. Well, in here, they've added a section on ESG, and it, it's a series of yes-no um, questions and answers, um, you know, whether the fund is an integration fund, whether the fund is an ESG-focused fund, yes-no, 
If yes, they ask for a breakout, whether the fund is an E fund, is it a social fund, is it a G fund? So it's interesting. They, they recognize that ESG is not one, just one big bucket. They're actually requiring advisors to complete, you know, is, is the investment in the way you advise client assets? Is it, you know, is it one specific where it's environmental or social or governance? Um, or is it all three or, or multiples of, you know, two of the three? And so it's all being done through yes, no uh, questions and answers. And then there's also a question, which I think is is important. And this was something that was a big focus from an examiner perspective when I was at the SEC is, is third party frameworks that are followed by the advisor. So UN principles, PRI, you know, SFDR and uh, or ESG consultants used. Um, that's also a yes, no um, question. And then there's also specific questions uh with regard to private funds, because so what was interesting to me is this, this this rulemaking is very focused on public funds, registered investment companies. Um, however, there are some aspects that will apply to private funds, um, and and particularly, you know, if 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 these private funds in the portfolio companies, if it's an ESG strategy, and and a lot of that's going to get captured not from the public fund filings. But it will get captured through Form ADV and both Ports 1A and, and 2A, which I'll get to. But that will require for private funds, you know, um, you know the, the approach they take, whether it's an integration fund, an ESG fund, an impact fund, as well as breakouts by E, S, and or G. And so, so that's something that, that the SEC is going to capture that data from a private fund perspective. And so fund advisors are going to have to ensure, private fund advisors are going to have to ensure that they're capturing the necessary information and how they categorize their fund. Um, I don't think it's to the degree that the public funds um, will have to capture in terms of GHG emissions, as well as the weighted average carbon intensity. Um, but what happens if you have, and it wasn't clear from, from, from the rulemaking proposal, what happens if you have a public fund investing in private funds? And how is that gonna how is that gonna flow through from a portfolio company perspective? Um, you know, particularly with scopes one and scopes two. So I, I think that that will be an interesting nuance that we'll have to keep an eye on as the rule moves forward to a final rule and the impact that that will have in that space. Um, you know, for for, for Part two A, it's it's a, it's an all narrative approach, and so uh, they're they're seeking to amend the the the, the ADV Part two A to have much more robust disclosures on on the ESG factors that are used, how they're used to advise clients, whether it's E S or G or and or all three risk factors related to the ESG strategy they've chosen criteria or methodology in selecting investments, you know, scoring providers, whether they use an external or internal scoring approach, screening descriptions, um, indexes used. And so it's a pretty robust, and, and that's all going to be um, unstructured narrative. And so that's something that I think we'll have, um, you know, there'll be a, a significant um, responsibility and requirement that's going to have to be met by investment advisors to ESG strategies. And 
I will say that the SEC examiners will be poring over these documents before they go out and do an exam of a fund, of a private fund, or of an investment advisor. Um, it's the key documents that they focus on before they walk in the door and, and conduct an examination. So it's definitely a lot to think about. And I would think there are going to be some challenges for funds trying to put these disclosures together, and particularly in light of where we started this conversation and the other new rules that are proposed. So overall, any sense, can you give us a sense of the reaction that you're hearing from clients? So I think some of the big concerns is, is it will be data gathering and tracking. And it will also require more information from investment portfolio companies. There'll be record keeping. You know, we talked about, you know, meetings with ESG investments and, 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 the, and the portfolio companies. It will require gathering scope one, scope two, and potentially scope three information. Um, it will also require, you know, a formalization of practices that were not needed in the past when it came to ESG investing. I mean, this really adds a level of governance that's going to be required for investment advisors and mutual fund complexes to implement, to ensure they, they gather information, they have robust disclosures, um, they actually, that their practices follow what their disclosures and policies and procedures require. Um, and so, so, so that will be a significant lift for, for those types of entities. And then, you know, you'll also have this issue of public funds investing in private funds and, and, and how deep does that go in terms of trying to get that information from private fund portfolio companies, um, particularly with greenhouse gases and, 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 and weighted average carbon intensity. And so I, I think that there'll be some significant uplift in the industry to, 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 to gather this information. And it's your, and, and it's almost, you know, you know, if you, if you, you know, I like, I, I, I look at the differences between the climate rulemaking that applies to issuers to this rulemaking. And you rightly point out that this one's broader from a sense that it's not just the E it includes, you know, the, the social and the governance, but also it overlays fiduciary duty on top of, 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 you know, so, so, so when you think of an issuer, they have responsibilities to disclose to their shareholders, certain risks and aspects from a climate perspective. In this case, this is, this is really driven towards money managers and investment managers, managing money and assets for clients in a way that they tell their clients they do and defining that clearly. So, if I'm an investor looking at ESG alternatives, that when I look at multiple three or four different funds to make an investment selection, that I'm going to get comparable information on how that firm is managing ESG products and strategies and will be able to make uh, an informed decision based on those disclosures. I think that's really what the SEC is driving at with regard to this rulemaking. So you have mentioned early on that there is a point when some of the more established funds that have been, I'll call it more ESG focused, actually maybe would have welcomed something like this because it would provide some consistency. Is that your sense that there are some funds at least that would view this as a positive or overall is this just seem like an information gathering exercise or it's sort of all over the place, depending on what type of fund you are? 
I think because this is written so broadly to apply to any fund that utilizes even just as one factor of many ESG considerations, I think there is some concern in industry, just the breadth of the rulemaking. But at the same time, I think you're right. You know, I think it's important that, you know, for for those firms that are out there that have made ESG related commitments as asset managers, as well as those that have been in in this space and advise clients and advise strategies for a long period of time in the ESG um, area, that I think they would likely welcome this because they have generally built out robust systems of of ESG investing with ESG requirements, um, as well as looking at some of the requirements that that have taken place in in other jurisdictions, you know, including you know the EU. Um, I think it's important that those those firms will. I don't think it will be as a significant uplift um, for those firms as it would be for um, folks that are newer to the space. And 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 I will say that if you look at the proliferation of ESG products and strategies that 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 have have come into play over the last four to five years, I, I mean, I think there is some differentiation in the sophistication of ESG strategies. Uh, at certain money managers over others. And I think that, you know, I think they would welcome some of this more robust disclosure requirements and KPI requirements. Let me ask one more sort of broad question. And this is actually turning to the portfolio companies, because you did mention, I think, the scope three uh, greenhouse gas disclosures. I think there's also requirements for scope one and two greenhouse gas disclosures. So that's obviously going to then take getting some information from those portfolio companies. What is sort of the view on that level of information? And is this, you know, will this be an additional burden on those companies? I think some companies will be covered by the climate disclosure um, proposal um, that applies to issuers. So you know, those, 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 um, public issuers that are out there, you know, they're going to have their own requirements that then can be picked up and captured by the fund industry. Um, I think where there will be challenges potentially is with non-public, um, issuers that may not have that, those requirements, particularly for GHG and for weighted average carbon intensity and things like that. Um, and scope three, even, um, what's interesting though, is, is I wouldn't be surprised is a lot of institutional investors, particularly in this, you know, the state institutional investors, they are driving the private markets to provide ESG strategies and ESG private funds, um, and investment options for those, those institutional investors, which will allow them to, to have a strategy that may not be in the public fund setting. And so with that, they're they're very powerful organizations. And I think that they are driving change in disclosure requirements in the private fund setting, which would flow down to portfolio companies. But I do think that generally this rule is very focused on the public funds setting. Um, And, you know, I, I do think that, you know, so, so for instance, private equity, that wasn't really touched on by this rulemaking, um, and I and I think that 
you know, I think the industry will drive change in that space in terms of disclosure requirements when it comes to scope one, scope two, scope three, potentially. Um, but right now, you know, th- there, there's, there's an ancillary effect by this, this proposal that hasn't come out, um, and, and, and affirmatively required those disclosures in the, with the portfolio companies that are private. All right. Well, definitely will be interesting then to see how that evolves. So Pete, maybe final question for you today is, as we've talked about here, this is a very broad proposal. I think it's going to bring together information that, you know, say it's the financial reporting people preparing these reports, it's information maybe they have not been dealing with in the past. And again, some of the other types of challenges we've seen with all of these these new proposed rules. So as you're meeting with clients and definitely recognizing that things could change before a final rule is adopted, what kind of advice are you giving them in terms of what they should be thinking about right now? So I'm advising them for a number of reasons, but I'm advising them to, if they have an ESG strategy, they have to start thinking about um, the disclosures that they put out there, the advertising that they use with, with investors and clients. They have to start thinking about the types of funds that they offer. I think this rulemaking will, in sh- some shape or form, will will go through, and I think they'll move quickly to get it out. Um, and I do think that 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 inv- money managers need to be thinking about the categorization of the types of investment funds that they offer. So whether it be an integration ESG focused or impact fund, I also think they need to start thinking about how are they going to gather the relevant information and track the relevant information from an operational perspective. Um, I also think they need to think about the, that there are exams, hundreds of exams going on that are focused on ESG strategies and misleading disclosures and misleading advertising. And I think they need to focus on that as well, that what they're telling the public and, the, and their investors is exactly what they are doing in terms of implementing their ESG strategy. All right. So definitely a lot to think about. And it will be interesting to see how this evolves, particularly as we started in light of all these other potential changes that are coming for funds in terms of reporting. So Pete, really appreciate all the insight. Thanks so much for joining me today. Thank you. My pleasure. That does it for today. Join me back here next week for new podcast episodes. On Tuesday, we're wrapping up our Derivative Toolkit series. And on Thursday, we'll be back with more ESG content. This time focusing in on the more than 14,000 comment letters submitted to the SEC in response to their climate disclosure proposal. So that you never miss any of our audio content, follow the PwC Accounting Podcast wherever you listen to your podcasts. And to stay up to date on all the latest in accounting reporting news, sign up for a newsletter at viewpoint.pwc.com. From Thought Leadership at PwC, I'm Heather Horn. Thanks for tuning in. This podcast is brought to you by PwC, all rights reserved. PwC refers to the U.S. member firm or one of its subsidiaries or affiliates, and they sometimes refer to the PwC network. Each member firm is a separate legal entity. Please see www.pwc.com structure for further details. This podcast is for general information purposes only and should not be used as a substitute for consultation with professional advisors.